Church, it is so good to be with you this morning. Oh, wrestle this thing down from Noel Height. Uh, it's a special day for me because my mom and dad are here today. So, a, so one of the primary ways that I've experienced the goodness of God in my life is through them. So I'm so happy that they're my parents and that they're here today. So have, if you have a chance, come down and say hi to them afterwards. So we're continuing our sermon series today entitled Give Me Jesus, where we've been looking at different gospel accounts that show us different facets of the life and ministry of Jesus. And today we'll be looking at a very rich passage from the Gospel of Mark. And so hear now the Word of God for the people of God. One Sabbath he, and that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? How he entered the house of God when Abathar was high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he even gave some to his companions. And then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there who had a withered hand. They were watching him to see whether he would cure him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, come forward. And then he said to them, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. He looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately conspired with the Herodians against him about how to destroy him. Mm. Before we dig in, let's pray. Lord, you alone are the word. And you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak, Lord. Speak to us as we are gathered here today and speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray all this in the mighty name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So I hope you can hear it, because this passage is crackling with tension and confrontation, all of it about keeping the Sabbath, which is almost impossible for us to really connect with, because for most contemporary people, even contemporary Christians, the only time that we really struggle with the Sabbath is when we bump up against the sad news that Chick-fil-A is closed today. And that struggle, my friends, is real. 
But it wasn't so long ago that Sabbath laws were a real thing for real people right here in Virginia because some of us here are old enough to remember the so-called blue laws. Remember those? Those prohibited certain stores from being open on Sundays, certain activities from being done on Sundays, and certain products from being sold on Sundays. And those laws were in effect in Virginia in some form or fashion from 1610 until the 1980s. And there were lots of religious and cultural and even legal disputes about them over those four centuries. And ultimately, there was a lawsuit and blue laws were declared unconstitutional by the Virginia Supreme Court in 1988. But our Sabbath history pales into comparison to what's going on in this passage from the Gospel of Mark. Because Sabbath practice was a distinctive Jewish identity marker for thousands of years. From Friday evening through Saturday evening, the Jewish people stopped. They stopped working and they worshipped the one true God. Sabbath observance was one of the things that made them different from every other people on earth. So in the wilderness, as they journeyed to the promised land, they observed the Sabbath. When they got to Israel and built their nation and thrived, they observed the Sabbath. And even when they were conquered and taken away to Babylon, or conquered and taken captive in their own country by the Roman Empire, the Israelites defiantly observed the Sabbath as a way of saying that they belonged to God and nobody else and nothing else. But any human practice, even as something wholly as good as the Sabbath, can be twisted and distorted, whether by codifying them into civil blue laws or regulating them as religious rules well-intentioned humans can often hijack divine blessings and turn them into earthly burdens. And that's what the, had happened to the Pharisees. And in this passage, Jesus clears away both ancient and modern distortions to reclaim the original purpose of the Sabbath and to reveal where the Sabbath ultimately points. So in this first story from Mark's gospel, these religious purists, the Pharisees, they criticized Jesus' disciples for plucking grain on the Sabbath because they considered that to be unlawful harvesting work. And so Jesus defends them by telling the story of how King David and his hungry men violated similar notions of holiness by eating the temple bread that was explicitly reserved for the temple priests. And the Pharisees recognized that circumstance as an exception to the Sabbath laws. Now in the second story, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. But according to the rabbis, medical work of any type was prohibited unless it was a life or death situation. And because the man with a withered hand was not in imminent deathly peril, they asserted that his healing should wait until the Sabbath was over. But Jesus chooses to do good on the Sabbath and heals him right then and right there. 
And at the center of both of these stories is the central point that Jesus is making, that the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. And the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So to start with, Jesus points back to God's original Sabbath plan. The Sabbath is the gift of God for the people of God, initially given to the Israelites as part of the Ten Commandments. And this is how Moses explained the Sabbath to them in a passage from Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male or female slave, or your ox or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident aliens in your towns, so that your male and female slave may rest as well as you. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Every Israelite knew this passage. And so, the, as you can see, the, the Sabbath command, the Sabbath day, is grounded in the creation story. Six days of labor followed by a day of rest. Now, resting is a reminder that we belong to God and not to our work, that our identity flows from God and not from our jobs or the money that comes from our jobs. And so Sabbath should be seen as a welcome interruption in our overscheduled lives. It creates margin, helps restore balance, and allows us to recharge as individuals, to reconnect as a family, and to worship as a community. But if that's all the Sabbath is, it's just a family day of rest, then there's really not much to argue about, right? But the original Sabbath command that we just read, it goes far beyond that. Notice that the directive of rest also extends to your male and female slave, your livestock, and the resident alien in your towns. The Sabbath proclamation is spoken into our personal lives, but then it echoes into our social lives. Because the Sabbath is not just taking care, not about just taking care of ourselves, it's about taking care of others. So the Sabbath is not just about our rest, it's about our neighbor's rest. And it carries a sense of justice. And that's not all, because the Sabbath command goes on to remind the Israelites that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord brought you out of there. The Sabbath-keeping God is also the chain-breaking God. The God who rests is also the God who emancipates, the God who sets us free from any system that says we have to do more, that says we have to have more, that we have to be more. The Sabbath God is the one who frees his people from the treadmill of ceaseless production and restless consuming. And this is the God who liberates us even from religious rules that would turn the Sabbath from a blessing into a burden. As Bible scholar Patrick Miller notes, the primary trajectory set loose in and by the Sabbath commandment 
is the principle of regular release from the things that enslave, oppress, and bind human life. And God's people are called to embrace God's Sabbath mission, not to hijack the Sabbath and turn it into a legal dispute. And that's why Jesus is so angry. That's why he growls at the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? God created the Sabbath so that hungry people, like his disciples, would be fed, not harassed, so that hurting people, like the man with the withered hand, would be healed and restored, not ignored. The Sabbath was meant to give life to people, not to take on a life of its own. So this conflict that's happening, yeah, it starts with the Sabbath, but it goes much deeper too because Jesus is not just reorienting their understanding of the Sabbath. He's resetting their understanding of reality. He's articulating a new vision for who God is, how God works, and the kind of life that the people of God are called into. So when Jesus goes on to say, so the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, he's claiming much more than just the authority to clarify the purpose of the Sabbath. And he's not just pointing backward to God's original plan in creating the Sabbath. He's also pointing forward to God's ultimate plan for fulfilling the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is not merely a day of rest. It's both a principle and a promise. In the creation story, God creates for six days and then stops and rests. And humans rest along with God, relaxing into the goodness of God's creation that provides them all that they need. But sin enters that world, and human beings turn away from God's ways. As the Bible puts it, humans forfeited God's rest, choosing instead a world of struggle and suffering, a world where all of us long for true rest. And that's not just a theological point. It's not just theological talk. It's real talk because we've all tasted the kind of weariness that comes from the deepest places of our soul, haven't we? There are times when life can feel like we're being forced to make bricks without being given any straw. Where simply breathing feels like too much. And there are times when we don't know whether we can make it through another day, one more day in that awful job, or one more day without a job. We don't know if we can take one more day of treatment, of pain, one more day of loneliness, one more day in a world that is just so mean. One more day without love or hope or something or anything that might make things better that might make us better. And to the extent that we can talk at all on those days, the only thing that we can say is that we're just tired. The kind of tired that we can't be distracted out of or entertained out of. The kind of tired that sleep won't solve and a vacation won't 
fix. That's because, church, we were made for the garden. We were made for the presence of God. And God desperately wants to restore humanity back to that seventh day rest. And that promise of ultimate Sabbath rest is a theme that runs throughout Scripture. So when God frees the Israelites from slavery and leads them into the promised land, how is that described? It's a land of freedom, flowing with milk and honey, because it's a picture, it's a preview of God's ultimate Sabbath rest. And in the promised land, the, the Israelites are to observe the Sabbath day and practice the Sabbath principles. Scripture tells us that every seven years was to be a Sabbath year, when all debts were canceled, all slaves were freed, and even the land itself would be allowed to rest. Every 50 years, there was to be a Sabbath year on steroids, called the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor. And if anyone had gone into debt and lost their ancestral land or sold themselves into bondage, all those debts were forgiven, and all that was lost was restored. All these practices are pointing towards the promise of God's ultimate rest. But as we see the Israelites, and we can understand this, they lost their vision of true Sabbath. And they became captives to lives of chaos and disorder, the kind of lives that we so often experience. And as generations came and generations went, the whole world waited for rest. Then comes a man, an Israelite, who walks into the synagogue on the Sabbath, takes up the scroll of Isaiah and says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news, good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and listen, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God's ultimate rest had broken into the world. And this man, he didn't merely come to preach on the Sabbath. He didn't merely come to preach about the Sabbath. And he didn't come to argue about the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath. He is the Lord of the Sabbath. Because church, a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. And his name is Jesus. It is Jesus who says to all of us, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus Christ is our ultimate Sabbath rest. All that the Sabbath promised is fulfilled in Jesus. The gospel itself is a blessing, not a burden. It's not about all that we have to do to get God to love us. It's about resting in all that Jesus has done because God loves us. In Jesus, our debts are paid. Our sins are forgiven. 
and we remember that we belong to God, that our identity flows from God and not from our jobs or the money that comes from our jobs. Resting in the love of God and the finished work of Christ is what changes us, heals us, and frees us to be all that God created us to be. And just like the Sabbath, the gospel is proclaimed into our personal lives and then echoes into our social lives. It's not about just restoration for us. It's about restoration for others. The Sabbath Savior is the one who liberates us and our neighbor, liberating us from any system that would deny us the rest and the justice that he promises. And the people who follow Jesus are called to embrace this same Sabbath mission and not stand in the temple and argue about it while people go hungry and hurting people go unhealed. This is the good news. Jesus Christ is Lord of the Sabbath. Come to him and find rest for your weary soul. Amen. Church, if you are weary and you want to turn your life over to our Sabbath Savior and get baptized, I'd love for you to come down front during this final song. I'd love to pray with you and plan your baptism. If you are looking for a church home where we can follow Jesus together into rest, invite you to come down front. I'd love to talk to you about that. If the Spirit is stirring in you and you just want to pray about a burden you have and take it to the one who can handle your burdens, I invite you to go to our prayer station over there and have a prayer and light a candle. And we're going to sing a song now, a new song about good news. And so I want you to be thinking about the good news of ultimate rest that is ours in Christ.